Welcome to Post Doom, regenerative conversations exploring overshoot grief, grounding, and gratitude. I'm your host, Michael Dowd. And in this conversation recorded in September of 2019, my co-host, Ganga Devi Braun, and I have a conversation with somatic therapist and guide, Jenna Diamond. Jenna supports activists, healers, uh, mystics, sensitive people uh, to adapt and to evolve in a sea of change. And she really helps all of us who are dealing with climate grief, uh, eco-anxiety, trauma, to um, become emotionally resilient. This was recorded long before a coronavirus era, but I think you'll find it very, very valuable. Jenna, it is a delight to have you because I so enjoyed the little pre-call, the phone call that we had a month and a half ago, I guess now, when I was still down in Miami um, and, uh, and I was at my sister's house, actually. And so I've been looking forward to this and want to invite you at the start to people who aren't familiar with you, they don't know of your work, um, help us, anybody watching or listening to this, have some sense of who you are, what you bring to this conversation. You know, this is a place to sort of let us know sort of um, um, a little bit about who you are. Help us get you uh, before we go into some of these questions that I, I posed. Sure. Um, it's so good to be here with you as well. And, and uh, with both of you, truly. Um, and I love the question of who are you because that, that, is, the, yeah, that is the question, right? Um, right now, in this moment, I am um, I'm a somatic practitioner. Uh, I have been starting to call myself um, an evolutionary activist. Uh, the somatic work that I practice is called core energetics, and it is a therapeutic body-based modality, and it's also known as an evolutionary process. And so that really is... Um, you know, my, my background in body-oriented work and supporting people contend with and um, meet in presence and wholeness what's here and what's, um, what we're being asked to, to show up for uh, in our emotional and spiritual and physical body uh, beyond, beyond the mind, thoughts, intelligence that already so... Uh, exists in pretty full throttle amongst our culture. That's great. Are you familiar? I'm just curious because you mentioned evolutionary activism. Dear friend of mine, one of my closest male friends and colleagues, Tom Atlee, he's one of the world's experts in collective intelligence. Mm -hmm. And uh, he wrote a book, uh, I don't know, probably eight or nine years ago now called uh, uh, Reflections on Evolutionary Activism, uh, Essays, Poems, and Prayers from an emerging field of sacred social change. Are you familiar with Tom? Do you know of that book? Somehow I'm not. Um, and it, you know, it's another one of those pieces of the collective conscious that, that begins weaving through. Yeah, he, he, on his website, it says, a seed sown by Tom Atlee toward the emergence of a movement of conscious evolutionary activism. But yeah, it's called Reflections on Evolutionary Activism by Tom Atlee, I highly recommend it. I think, I think um, you'd- I, I, don't, I know for sure he'd love to know about your work. So this is great to make this connection. Sounds like quite in alignment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we've used, I've used this term of post-doom and, and, you know, I see doom as the midpoint between denial and regeneration with or without us, that life will regenerate. Uh, uh, that's what life is about, is taking decay, compost, death, destruction, and creating out of that. So I see doom as that emotional midpoint between denial and regeneration with or without us. And I've just begun in the last couple of weeks defining or describing post-doom mm. as sort of the, the heart and mind. Well, the, the way I have it on the, on the website now is, is uh, post-doom is the space that opens up when we remember who we are, accept what's inevitable, and invest in what is pro-future and soul nourishing. And so I'm curious, how have you languaged these times in which we live in? Um, and what do you think of post-doom, if, if anything? 
Yeah. So, I mean, we can start there. Um, you know, when you're describing post-doom, I, I energetically feel enlivened. And then when I hear the term post-doom, I feel everything drop. Right. So there's a sense of like, you know, in my body, the post-doom feels, you know, feels heavy and, um, and fear-based because of our connotations with the word doom. Um, and yet the description allows for such regeneration. And, you know, by putting post in front of it, I hear that that's, you know, where we're coming. And it's, it's interesting just in connecting with it. And um, while, you know, I feel like I often default to these days where we're, you know, there's some implied understanding of what we're moving through. What I've been landing on recently um, is this recently, as in just probably this last week or two, is this radical destabilization. Because what it elicits in me is a sense of what it feels like. Um, not that everything, like all these other, you know, words don't. It's just, it, it gives it different sort of context in my bones and in my cellular body. And there's a way in which we're essentially like fighting for stabilization. And I, I'm even cautious around using the word fighting because it's like, where do we find balance? Where do we stabilize when we're almost in a destabilized notion? Do we grasp for control? Where do we pull back? Where are we like protecting ourselves from actually stepping in? And, and I think even the words we're using and the the language that's evolving is like being birthed as we speak as we are as we're we're having these conversations this is completely unprecedented everything is right and even that language like that i used to that i may have used you know a year or two ago um feels no longer relevant like it's having its own lifespan um so i am you know in such Kind of like curiosity as to the way we choose our language around what is now. One of the reasons why I was delighted that Ganga Devi wanted to co-host this is because Daniel Thorson um, was the one that recommended both of you. When I first contacted him, there were hardly any millennials. He said, like, are there any other young people? And I said, well, who do you suggest? And he suggested the two of you. So to have you both on the call at the same time is really a delight because your experience is going to be obviously a lot different than those of us who were born in the 1940s, some people, but I was born in 58, but the 1960s and 70s, there was a sense of perpetual progress and uh, never ending up and up that you all didn't have that in that sense. You already had a sense of deterioration or difficulty or challenges. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, growing up as a millennial, you know, even going to the movie theaters when I was younger, there was, um, I remember seeing some, some small things about, uh, like, polar bears and ice caps, and 9-11 uh, happened when we were young, and, you know, just, like, all these deep, like, traumatic, formative experiences that helped us to see that, uh, that this ideal of stabilization in our culture that, that has been the, uh, of stability and of progress and of um, things being, uh, both like progress oriented and also really stable, um, just like was not actually a part of our conditioning. And, um, or at least for me, it wasn't very present. And so I'd love for you to share uh, some about your own life story and your own journey of, um, of discovering the, the way that you see the truth of this moment um, now and, and what your path has been like, and particularly any uh, dark nights of the soul that you've gone through. Um, that have really helped to bring you to to the the deep healing work that you're doing right now. You know, I love that you just said like the truth of right now because I think you know reflecting on kind of my own path path shall we say here it's that there's always some sort of rumbling um, that things weren't as they seem and and that there was a you know kind of so in one of the, in the work that I do, there's this term like a self-idealized image. And I'm thinking about that on the, 
kind of on the global scale and this way that things have been projected and have been assumed and the cultural and familial programming around that so that you don't ask the questions, so that you stay in line and so that you continue to kind of carry out what has been predetermined um, for you, whether it's from your family directly, the ways that I want to you know, prove myself, my worthiness, um, the ways I get love, the ways I get affection. Like if I was to step out of that, um, you know, somehow there would be loss. So there was this underlying current that I didn't real, really like connect with deeply until um, kind of the last decade of doing kind of stepping into the deeper work. But, you know, I was raised in, um, a upper middle class Jewish family, not that connected to the outdoor world, really steeped in a uh, kind of an unconscious level of of trauma and and uh, kind of history of persecution. Right, that is so much of uh, the history and our story and where we come from. And it was only really one generation beyond my parents that had fled um and it's it's so interesting to see like what the underlying to look back and see like what the underlying fears may have been and how they shaped the way that i was showing up or not and um i was a dancer and movement artist my entire life i love to be in the body of course it makes sense that i'm doing body oriented work now and um, so that was really my first language. Even, you know, speaking now, the work that I do, it takes a lot to like say, okay, like, and it's like unblock the throat. Let's like actually carry it through the voice. And um, so like in pursuing my art to kind of perform, but also like know that that was bringing me my full aliveness. I was like to be in my body and to be, to feel strong and to be learning. Um, it was really supported throughout my, my childhood. And um, I pursued it into my undergrad years. And then I moved to New York to, to dance. Um, and so I was so fortunate to be able to step into a really like overwhelming and cutthroat competitive atmosphere of, of the like downtown experimental dance scene in New York. I don't know who would do that, but all the blessings to those who did and myself. Um, and to get to do the work that I wanted to do. And there's still like, there's this current of like uncertainty, which is, is was great. Um, which like, it's funny. I'm like, there's the way that this is coming out even is like, it, it, it feels fragmented. Like it's not, it, there is no linear path. There is no like seeking, right? Like finding different teachers and, and finding folks and the injuries. So like, it's a really actually landing on the place where the, my body um, had a different path than what I, thought I was supposed to carry out and maybe do for the culture or for the, for my parents. Um, and one injury in particular really kind of took me out and uh, forced me to look at all the identities that were, were showing up um, in a particular way. And I know this is, this is roundabout um, at the moment, but um so to have to stop dancing, to have to look inside, to have to uh, kind of discover what I am without that identity and that that level of of um, it's really about identities. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm I'm curious. Um, so I I love I love what I'm hearing because like you it sounds like you had this really strong, clear impulse of the direction that you wanted to go and, um, and that you made sense of it 
kind of cognitively of like, oh, I'm going to be a dancer and I'm going to do these things. I'm going to go to this place and it's going to unfold from there. Um, but, but your body, the actual, the actual um, living being that, that your cognition was um, driving informed you that that was not any longer the option. And um, I always, whenever I hear people reflecting on either the body of the planet or their own personal body, I, I always try to like weave together the microcosm, macrocosm dynamics there. And like right now, you know, we have like very clear messages from, from our planet about uh, certain things that we thought we were able to do um, are not actually viable any longer. So we're having to ask some really serious questions. So I'm, I'm curious what in your journey uh, were some of like the practices and um, or frameworks or, you know, philosophies that helped you to um, work through that period of, of like injury and confusion, it sounds like. Yeah. Um, so I actually remember so clearly, like in the not being able to do what I had, you know, intentioned and also what was intentioned for me in that same way that, you know, the, the personal and the kind of the global um, frame was like in slowing down, in really coming into the subtleties and the nuance and relinquishing all the places that I thought that I knew and that there was a sense of, of control. I feel like this continues to come down to control and where and how control lives in our bodies um, and the ways that, you know, there is actually like, we, we really only have this moment. So am I trying to control this future image of what I, I foresaw as being the thing that I wanted, right? That's this attachment, this grabbing of this image. Um, I remember so clearly being in, uh, I think it was a, a somatic practice, a personal somatic practice on a, a Saturday morning with the sun shining in through, through my window and, and laying on, my, on a mat or on a blanket on the ground and having a really clear kind of channel or vessel that um, the work was to, to bridge some of these, to, to bridge these pieces. I had been a climate activist. I had been out in the field and, you know, doing the work at the same time. I was uh, using my body um, really actively in to connect with people, to do things, to like be that doer. And it wasn't until like the slowing down and kind of like the the peeling back the layers of what that even the addiction to being the doer was um, that I could begin to see and hear um, what was being asked of me. And, you know, that meant leaving some comfort and leaving the ease as much as I was in perhaps physical pain, like the physical pain was the only thing that was gonna slow down so that I could slow myself down so I could see actually what was at stake and what was coming up. I ended up going to do a, an environmental fellowship in the woods and you know like leaving it's like connecting to the earth and the soil knowing that like my body was not was not separate and if i continued to to walk around the concrete um you know jungle of of the city streets in the pain the physical pain of not knowing where to go that that wasn't actually what was um the movement that was being asked for Thank you, Jenna. I'm curious, as you think about our predicament, uh, the cascading challenges that we face, one of the questions I've been asking various guests in this um, series is related to human nature and how they see our gifts and challenges, um, making it easier or more difficult uh, with respect to responding to um, not just climate, but the whole range of places where we've been out of right relationship to our larger body, the living earth, um, and where we are now um, reaping the consequences of that, but also those of us who still have an activist heart or a, a heart to make a difference or a, a passion or a yearning or a desire to be a blessing in, in some tangible concrete way, 
Um, how do you see human nature factoring into any of that? I think this is really where some of the, the shedding of, of blocks to our fullness come in and acknowledging that, you know, we are all carrying kind of these, these defenses um, that have likely been with us since we were very, very young to feeling what we need to feel and to feeling our feelings, right? They're, we look at the body and we see where places might get held back or where we restrict our breathing so that we don't have to feel the pain of what's, of anything, of being rejected, of shame, of, of uh, like fear of, you know, potential loss and of survival. And so there's a way that if, you know, the work is to continue to open our hearts. I mean, that we have the capacity to do that full stop. Like that is in our nature and yet we need to be supported and witnessed deeply um, to shed the places that have held us back from, from having our hearts. And so, you know, we get into the places where we need each other. We really deeply need each other. And um, if we're not working consciously to integrate the places that have, um, you know, caused us hurt and pain, then, you know, the tendency is to separate and is to create, um, competition and places where we're actually pitted against each other. And so it's all possible. Like we have it all set out before us, what we choose to do with it and the ways of awakening um, that are happening right now, right? Like this ripple effect of what's, of what's happening in the world, the speed in which people are awakening, um, the level of both urgency and acknowledgement and like this great reckoning of where we are and where we've come, like, like that in itself is impetus to turn inward and just to have a glance at like where, how are my actions, my like deeply personal, that is the personal is the collective, the personal is the political, like we, we it isn't separate. And yet the tendency, if we don't do that, um, is to separate, like that, that's, that's young. It's re it's really early. It's it's by no fault, you know, of the fact that like that's um, we are we're living in a cultural paradigm that we've had to be and show up a certain way, and to do that we've had to fit in and hold back. And we want to break down those barriers to holding back, so that we can be in our creativity, we can be in our heart, we can be in our aliveness, and we can connect regardless of any outcome. Yeah, I, I see it almost as an inevitable process of being born into an unsustainable culture, a culture that's anthropocentric rather than life-centered and that has a um, arrogant relationship to primary reality rather than a humble relationship to primary reality. And uh, then how those dysfunctions and quirks and challenges get embodied in our body is probably what a huge piece of your work is about. Um, you just mentioned like where, where we've come from and where we're going. And um, I, I just love so much that like the work that you're doing is so grounded in the present moment um, because it is body work. It is embodiment somatic work um, and also has so much to do with the context in which people are moving and um, and that you that you frame it as as evolutionary, I think is really beautiful. And um, there's this beautiful Joanna Macy quote that we're folding into the conversation series um, that I'd love to hear your thoughts on. Uh, so she says, there is science now to construct the story of the journey we have made on this earth, the story that connects us with all beings. Right now, we need to remember that story, to harvest it and to taste it, for we are in a hard time, and it is knowledge of the bigger story that is going to carry us through. And I'm just curious how you see your work and, and what you do and, and also who you are being rather than doing uh, in this time within that larger context and how that might be supportive to anyone listening. Mm -hmm. It also makes me think of another um, of Michael Mead and a quote that just came through, which, you know, really just 
I often rest in like, there can't be an end because there was no beginning. Um, and it just, you know, came right through when I remember kind of this, this like, uh, kind of the wave of consciousness and, um, the ability to actually have our hearts break continually. And I'm feeling actually quite tender today. I, I was grieving last night and I, I was, didn't, you know, it was, if there was a few different entry points that, that it could have been, and of course it was, you know, triggered by something, but I think it was a week of holding in and taking in and um, any expectation that we have to hold it together uh, hold what, whatever it is together or in, um, is, you know, also the place of, um, that, that keeps us separate. And so like in, in the acknowledging that we are so deeply human and complex, but really like deeply human, I'm feeling like the bigger picture and the story and also like all the pieces of like the fact that like our lives so depend right now on disrobing from the comfort and ease and how um how we're so addicted to the, the comfort and ease on a you know western dominant culture is and so we're in this predicament and it's like, it's such a dance. It's such a, like a, a rebalancing, a destabilization is a dance of, of trying to figure out like how to be. Um, if I can just jump in, um, this conversation won't actually be uploaded for some time, but we're having this the day after Greta spoke to the United Nations uh, in a very prophetic way that moved me to tears. It moved my wife to tears, moved many people to tears. There's a, she sort of upped the ante in terms of saying it like it is, fearlessly, boldly, prophetically, um, unpolitely, let's say it that way. And, and I, I couldn't help but begin to reflect on my own contribution, my own life. Like, what is my message? How, you know, is this a time in culture when I need to step up, not in order to save a dust civilization, I don't think that's possible. I think it's possible that our species will be extinct in the not too distant future. And I think it's also possible that a remnant will survive, but I, I know we're in con contracting, collapsing, challenging times. And so what's my role? What, what can I do given my gifts and limitations? So sort of human nature, but not in an abstract sense, but like my nature, you know, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I'm a recovering addict. You know, given my understanding of addiction, what can I contribute in terms of our addiction to fossil fuels, our addiction to comfort, as you just spoke at. Um, mm. um, and so I'm, I'm doing, I'm in a deep reflection myself, just even as you know, the last 48 hours uh, in terms of my own role and where can I be the biggest blessing in that I can be for life, for the future, given my gifts and limitations? One beautiful element of like the, the deep time cosmology element of, um, of reflection that I know I found really, really helpful. And we spoke a little bit before we started recording about um, like kind of folding in uh, religion and in your case and also in my case, Judaism into uh, how we understand some of this work that is asking to be done. Um, I find the framework and that idea of tukun olam incredibly, incredibly helpful um, in some of like my darkest spaces when I when I feel like everything is just fractured into separation. Um, this the idea of tukun olam, as I understand it, is that like the universe was once whole, that God was once completely whole, and that it all like necessarily fractured. Um, and, and that our, in the invitation of aliveness is to bring it all back together, is, is to repair the world to wholeness. And um, whether we're doing that through uh, engaging with people interpersonally, um, through conversation and, and creating connection and, you know, reconnection, regeneration of connection and, um, and remembrance of who we truly are, or if we're uh, like, 
repairing the fracturing of our psyche and our body and the fractured elements of ourselves that have become so disparate through trauma, whether within our own lifetime or inherited from our ancestors. Um, there's so much there that is, uh, we have this invitation to, to pull pull things back together into a sense of intimacy and connection um, that doesn't, that like if, we, if we're doing that, it doesn't really matter if there's permanence because it matters to me at least that there's, um, that there's remembrance of who we truly are and that there's connection there. And, um, and from that place, impermanence feels actually really okay uh, because it's all, as you said, a part of the dance. And the remembering piece feels, you know, so, so critical here. It's like remembering who we are and where we come from and that we are a part of the bigger, the bigger sphere, um, right? And it, it's kind of sometimes a really hard uh, awakening to know that it's not all about me. Um, it's not all about uh, us and we can do um, what we can to live into our gifts and live into our nature and, uh, you know, model what that looks like and continue to listen to the spirit, to God, to trust, to what's coming through. Um, once, you know, we have more and more capacity to hear in that slowness, in that shedding of the trauma, both ancestral and um, this lifetime, uh, to to be with what's here you know i'm thinking of uh, michael knows that I've, I've you know studied also with stephen jenkinson and um you know we could go on a tangent there and and bring in some of you know his words and i that i could never do justice ever 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 but uh i keep thinking that like i hear his voice coming in saying um like the future will never exist like there is no future right like and it's that it's you know he wouldn't want it to be a spiritual teaching but like that just that it is like it is now like when we remember that there actually isn't a future that we are trying to save or hold on to um we almost become a little bit more free and liberated from some sense of having to do something because even that of that idea of doing something is coming from a place of trauma or fear of of it not being the way that we want it to be yeah, I, I share, um, I, in fact, uh, Barbara Cecil and I interviewed Stephen Jenkinson uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we'll be uploading, Connie will be editing and uploading that here in the next two weeks, I think. Um, but I'm reminded in talking about both of you, talking about remember who you are. And my wife, Connie, created a children's curricula uh, using Bill Plotkin's work um, in terms of the, the, the whole relationship to our larger self, our larger body, the earth and the earth systems, and our own uh, maturity, our process of maturity uh, going through that. And it was called Remember Who You Are. And she took the Lion King and Bill Plotkin's work and uh, brought them together and created a, just a delightful children's curricula that's designed to really take children through this understanding of our of our maturing process that also applies, I think, to our species, uh, not just to us as individuals. So I'm just reminded of that now in this conversation of remember who you are. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, I, I think about um, remembrance a lot in, and especially in, um, in the context of, of Judaism and just like how important remembrance is uh, within that tradition and, and like how through so much trauma and through, through so much oppression, um, this emphasis on, on remembrance of, um, of origin and of roots and, and also of pain um, to be, it encourages us to really harvest lessons and, and move forward, hopefully into, into not reproducing them. That's, I think that's the idea behind it. Um, but of course, with trauma, it's, difficult to determine what people what people do with it from a place of, of activated trauma. Um, but, you know, especially considering, um, I don't know, I, I, I feel like remembrance, the next question that we have has to do with impermanence and death. And um, there's like an element of 
relating healthily to impermanence and death that has to do very much with with release um and um you know just just allowing things to pass away and fully releasing them and being non-attached and then there's also a remembrance element there and um just as like the thread that i'm that i'm seeing weaving through this conversation uh i i'm it's generating thoughts in me and i would just love to invite you also to reflect on if being present with death, being present with impermanence, being aware of um, whether it's on planetary scales or interpersonally, these these elements of life that are so um, inevitable, so real, so true, uh, how that's informed the work that you do and and how, again, not just how, what you do, but how, how you be, <laughs> how you are in your presence in the world. I uh, am thinking about, you know, some of the the times that I've been held to to grieve fully and to let the whales, let the full expression of my breath move through my body. And like the depth of the love and the heartache and the heartbreak that gets to move through us as humans, as we're feeling and seeing and meeting what's around us, um, it it actually like it's it's such a radical thing to to feel um, fully and uh, especially you know in a culture and we keep coming back to the cultural images because it's there's it's so important that we continue to name those and see like how you know as a culture we're, we're you know death is hidden and and um of course talking about western culture in particular but um and the ways that we've really been taught not to to connect to the end of things um not to see you know we see we see the flowers bloom and not necessarily to see them um, die away or or to uh, create rituals around death that actually are coming from our listening and from our knowing and from our um, from our from our lineages uh, that that uh, you know feel like they are authentic and real and so like even just bringing death into the everyday consciousness and you know, having a little plant on on a table in my room that I move each morning to to the windowsill to get light, and it's also like an acknowledgement. Like I, I'm here one more day. Like I'm t I'm turning the cup up, right? Like we're here. We have another opportunity um, to breathe and to bring ourselves and our passion and our mission. Like I feel like this is you know when I'm, I'm reminded, I was like, oh yeah. And again, I'm just going to say, it, it's not about me and the words that are coming through. It's like, I just, I really want to be of service. And that feels deeply connected to my relationship to, to, to death right now. And it's ever changing. It's ever evolving. Um, and meeting those fears as they come up is, is part of it. So um, yeah. Breathing, breathing with you, and and breathing here right now with with uh, the inevitability and all the possibility um, that being alive brings. Because we are to be alive is also, um, you know, to know that there will be death. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate what you said. I, you know, it's interesting. I I wasn't aware consciously until about an hour and a half ago in a previous conversation that Ganga Devi and I had that I believe today is actually the 10th anniversary to the day of when I uh, began a chemotherapy process uh, for, for several months and then had my spleen removed. And so I became more present to 10 years ago at, at this time, more present to my own mortality than I'd ever been before. And I don't, I have not by the grace of life. And I use the word life and God interchangeably. Um, uh, by the grace of life, I have not lost that cherishing each season as if it could be my last, just because it's a soul nourishing thing to do. I actually don't think I'm going to die in the next season. I, 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 I 
not aware of any problems. I don't have any cancer in me anymore. Um, but I, there's something that adds tremendous, unspeakably awesome, like goes beyond what words can convey preciousness to my life by not taking my life for granted and by treating each year as if it could be my last each season. And literally night before last, Connie and I did a little ritual because we're having this conversation, you know, yesterday was technically the equinox, the fall equinox. And so uh, night before last, Connie and I did a little ritual where we do this every season. We speak to the season and we say, thank you, Summer, for being such an amazing blessing. If one or both of us never get a chance to experience you again, and we actually hold in our mind and our imagination that one or both of us would die before the next summer comes along, we just cherish what an incredible gift you've been. And we'll just hold that place. And sometimes I'll be moved to tears. Occasionally we'll both be moved to tears. But taking each season as a sacred gift, um, I've had the, the grace of being able to experience now 60 summers. Um, and I don't know how many more I'll be graced to have, but I know that living my life with mortality and death as a ever-present companion adds tremendous rich value to my life. And I now hold that even as our species, that wow, what if our species is in the final years or decades um, of its life? And what an amazing opportunity to be alive today, to do what I can do to be a blessing and to have conversations like this with the two of you and so many others that are part of this series. It feels like holy, holy work. Um, even if ultimately we don't change the system in the ways that we, that we all at one point hoped that we could. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, Jenna, I appreciate how you listen also uh, in this series. It's just such a blessing. You listen with your eyes as well as your ears. Um, so thank you. How, how do you hold our time um, and have you found something on the other side of the, uh, what I'm calling the post-doom doorway? I also feel like it's a, you know, it's a, everything's a spiral. We keep coming back, but at different levels, at different layers to, to grieve what might be appearing in, in the moment. Um, whether it's trees that have been, um, kind of, taken down executed rather right outside my window or um you know seeing uh just more buildings popping up around and seeing kind of like the the larger ecosystem continue like whatever it is that that brings me grief in that moment allowing myself to feel it and be with it um small large like fully like being taken by it or just stopping to acknowledge that it's here and it's present um, continues to expand and strengthen my container to hold others to do the same. I mean, that's, I feel like that's one of the reasons why I'm here um, is to create space to, to continue to um, support others and not, you know, by continuing to bring my truth in it um, right? Like the other side is this deeper, ever expanding heart space of possibility and love and life force and creativity and like a deep, deep connection to all that is, um, and to spirit, to our connection with, with the bigger, with the bigger piece. What are the what are the opportunities that you see present for humanity at this time? Um, you know, there, we can kind of look at this from two angles of one, what is no longer possible? Like what is no longer worth even considering for ourselves? And then the other angle of it, um, collectively or individually, what is still possible uh, and what is still meaningful and what, what would you perhaps ask to be considered or activated or embodied in anyone listening now? Business as usual is, is no longer possible. Um, everything has to change. And even a reckoning with that statement of everything has to change begins to unfold all of the pieces that don't want that to be so. 
and you know we lay it all out and we see okay so if what this this what the cur the current wheel that's moving quickly down a path like this thing that is is in motion like can we allow it to shift and change course and like evolve in real time and that's kind of what's possible so like what's not possible is continuing continuing exactly as it is and us holding on for dear life. Um, and what's possible is to actually loosen our grip on the life as we know it. To, to, ex to expand, to integrate, to um, bring more and more and more truth and more humbleness, more humility to what's brought us here. Uh, it's, it's no small feat and yet we're not doing it alone. And that's like, that's what we want to ground in. Um, like feel our feet, like feel where we are planting ourselves, like connect with it, connect with like, right now I just brought my hands to my, my legs here, my thighs, and I'm, can actually make contact to know that I'm, I'm okay. And that I can like, downgrade, downregulate, like settle my nervous system to know mm. that in this moment I am safe and in this moment I can create from here. Um, mm. I want to land in that and I want to ask us, like fully ask us to shake ourselves, to like rock ourselves from um, any level of complacency that says I'm okay. Like I can be okay, but also like, let's name that. Like, mm -hmm. like I want it to be okay. Like I really desperately want us all to be like, okay. And now that I just keep using that word, it's, I'm, you know, I'm judging myself and I want to name that too in the moment to say like, I'm going to be so imperfect. Like let us get so imperfect and like messy that we can find the places that want to um like authentically create something new especially from the place of our longing right like i feel like we live in a culture and a world where there's so much um like we're, we're so self-conscious about expressing like what we're enthusiastic about or or that we have like like i have like yeah you have this longing for humanity and for for the people that you love and the world that you love and the ecosystems that you love to be okay and um that's like you have this incredible heart of love that like wants that to happen and still like in conversations like that that could be pointed to as being you know like naive or you know delusional or anything like that and to really I think I think it's so essential that we come from a place of of honoring the deep longing that we have for a world where life is thriving and like I'm as much as I'm willing to look at try to seek to look at the world with open eyes i'm still i'm never going to let go of the longing that i have for a humanity that lives in a harmonic omnibeneficial relationship with the rest of the living world as much as we can you know like i i if i'm the last human alive on a on a planet that is you know degrading all around me i will still hold that dream in my heart and i think that like being being bold and like loving ourselves into that sense of longing um and not being shameful about that i, I think is a really important element that uh, hasn't even really come up yet until until you kind of just like named that just like repeating just okay i want things to be okay um yeah so thank you yeah and we want someone to almost hold us and say it's kind of okay in that longing right like the deep longing for for like some reassurance when there is none and when we continue to relinquish more and more of our sense of certainty of anything yeah. let that longing like be the call towards mm. truth and mm -hmm. towards action and the action can look any way that we are called who have been some of the most inspiring or helpful 
mentors or teachers or colleagues? Like, like what, what has nourished you? What has fed you um, mm-hmm. in not just your work, but in your soul work around these themes? Yeah, I think there is, you know, definitely a period of time that I maybe I'm just slightly emerging from where there's such a quest to to seek, you know, external wisdom and to to put myself at the feet of great teachers. And um, I mean, Joanna Macy being one of them, certainly, and her mentees that then, you know, I got to study with even further and um, the Institute of Coronergetics that I've gotten to do this evolutionary and consciousness work at and uh, the therapist that had brought me to the work that had held me in, in times of deep despair. And I think for the first time told me that years ago, I remember so clearly when she said, Jana, you're not gonna be able to save the world. Mm. And my world was shattered in that moment, completely and utterly shattered. Like I was, I just, I broke. And because something still had, like I had some sense in me that everything I could do would could change the thing, could change the trajectory. And like that moment coming in so clearly right now as we sit in, in our unknown and in these conversations and in connection, um, it was, you know, certainly prophetic in many ways. And, and on the path towards, you know, studying with, with Stephen and um, with another teacher, Jean Denny, who does a lot of death and dying work and consciousness. And um, I've also been fortunate to, to more recently work with uh, some folks down South in Atlanta School of Humanity and Awareness. And it's, and of course the people like my communities that are, are supporting me in earth-based Judaism and uh, like rooted in the deeply divine feminine. Uh, all of this feels like it's weaving its way and integrating within me and, you know, in this like hunger for someone, tell me, someone help me, like, which feels like, you know, it could feel like a young place at in the initiation towards, towards becoming an adult, um, perhaps, uh, like allowing myself to be in the stillness and silence of it all and, and hear my inner authority that, that sometimes wants to be really quiet and not take in anything more and also trust that um, all the teachers, I'm sure I'm missing a great number of them um, that I've been so honored to work with directly, uh, beyond all the folks that are like reading and like, you know, how much did I sink my teeth into like every Martine Practel, everything at some point and, and like, like, you know, reconnecting to or connecting to for the first time some sense of indigeneity in, in a time where I'm like, I don't, I don't know who I am or where I belong. So many teachers and many learnings and um, it feels like there's some space to get quiet. Um, Because I'm personally very nerdy about uh, connecting with and understanding the the earth-based Judaism piece. Mm -hmm. Um, Are there any books or resources if somebody's listening and is like, wait a second, I didn't know that that was a thing. I didn't know that that was possible to connect to my heritage in that way. Um, is there anything in particular you would like to, anywhere you'd like to direct people? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked. I would love to send and direct people towards Kohenet, which is... Um, Spell it. K-O-H, of course I have to write it down, K-O-H-E-N-E-T. And it's a community of kind of Jewish priestessing uh, and uh, Rabbi Jill Hammer and um, Taya Ma uh, are really the founders of this of this work, and there are uh, Kohenet priestesses that have been ordained out 
uh, in the world who are doing incredible earth-based ritual work and really bringing in um, kind of a, a source and, and divine connection with, with life that, that bridges yeah. worlds that I never have imagined and really shakes it out of the, shakes out Judaism from the patriarchy and from, from a kind of a, a stoic uh, sense of, um, it, it brings it to a new structure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, if anyone's not able to access or uh, participate in like the the in-person Kohenet trainings, uh, I really recommend that uh, anyone check out uh, their book called Hebrew Priestess that uh, dives into all of the different archetypes of um, of of priestessing within their system. And there's a huge uh, just I've benefited so much from um, the I forget what exactly the title of the archetype is, but the the grieving woman, the the wailing woman, um, and and then there's you know the woman at the crossroads, and there's all these archetypes that have awakened elements within me that have enlivened and strengthened me um, in coming coming to know myself uh, and the the stewardship that I have of um, the sacred at this time through through that framework. Um, and then I, I also would like to add um, The Magic of the Ordinary by Gershon Winkler as an incredible text that uh, helps to contextualize the indigenous roots of, of Judaism and um, for anyone and including and especially people who identify with Christianity and who have Christianity in their lineage as well because um, like these these indigenous Hebrew roots are the foundation from which um, so much of of people's religious world now emerge and uh, yeah I I think that that's actually a, a big part of people's healing um, and like the collective psychic healing has to do with coming back to those roots that that were um, adapted out of out of trauma responses so long ago. Well, I'm just delighted, uh, blown away and surprised, but delighted um, and delighted about this conversation here uh, because, of, A, I wasn't aware of what either one of you have been talking about these last <laughs> minutes. But, B, it makes so much soul sense, given what I know about the nature of religious language, symbolic language, and the, the, the Jewish emphasis on covenant and a covenant with life, a co you know, almost a contract with life. And I remember hearing David Abram um, speak about uh, Yahweh as like the sound of breathing. It's really the way life keeps us alive, which is the in and out breath. If you listen to it, it sounds like Yahweh and you're breathing. The, and for the Hebrews, you didn't need to believe in the spirit of God. The spirit was wind and breath personified. The only way that you can have, that you can experience wind and the only place you can experience breath is in the present moment. It's the present moment, life in the present moment, divinized uh, 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 as a thou, not an it. Either one of you, any last thoughts you'd like to say to bring this particular conversation to completion? Hmm. Sit with that for one second and just see what wants to come through. Huh. Breathing is good. Yes. <laughs> By the way, even, even earlier when you mentioned touching your thighs, yeah. I did that at that same time because I thought that's a great little practice. And it actually brought me, it, I noticed my body, my breathing slow down. So even you just voicing that helped me in this conversation. So thanks. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, there's so many exercises that, you know, I would love to offer and, and bring in a way that, to what we've been talking about. And, you know, another context, I might have said, okay, wait, let's just take a moment and actually feel what's going on. Even like, right, like we, we don't talk a lot about anger. Like I've discovered that I had anger in the last few years in doing this work because as, you know, a socialized female, that's not something that we're often um, told that we are able or, you know, we're not, it's not something that we're, we should have. So um, like allowing ourselves to get into the parts of our body that have held things back, like even doing a little bit of, of jaw work and allowing yourself to kind of feel into any tightness or where things have been held can, can unblock um, our places that want to, that want to express. And this is a time for expression. This is like, 
really radical expression um, of truth, uh, of unbridled, of unfiltered truth. And uh, we're seeing it in many ways and stepping up and saying, okay, I'm here. Like I'm willing, I'm willing to do the work. I'm willing to do the work that it takes to, to be more and more capable to show up. For more information about this project, go to postdoom.com.